0: Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. My name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company, and this is the Risk and Reward Podcast. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Lakeland native and and favorite, uh, Mr. Rich Wills. How's it going today? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Uh, so tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, so like you said, my name's Rich Wills. I'm a, I'm a Lakeland
1: native. I was born here uh, back in 1969. Uh, what people know me most for is uh, having been the owner of Fitnich, the running store, uh, for about sixteen and a half years. I sold it recently to a, another company that shares our
0: same mission and values. A much larger company called Fleet Feet. And um, my parents still live here. That's great. So what? So what drew you to the sport of running? Was running what created that for you? Just an interest to be able to? Yeah, it really is. And you know, um, I have to fault my father for all <laughs> of this because it
1: was back when I was in. First or second grade he would come home in the evenings he was a pastor and a bishop in the methodist church but he would come home in the evenings and he would kind of like he would ask me if i wanted to go for a jog with him and I, you know the truth is i really never did you know he i'd be like play with my little race cars and stuff and but i always felt so guilty yeah <laughs> so that i that i ended up going with him and the more I went, the more i I really enjoyed it and um, we lived over on camp for drive, and uh, my mom was pretty protective she wouldn't let me ride my bike or walk down the road to save to save my or anybody else's life <laughs> but um yeah at night, you know we would run those roads and there'd be no traffic back then, and it was kind of like mystical and magical, and I was with my dad, who i didn't get to see much during the day and it so really, was it just
0: really kind of planted a um, a uh, really beautiful seed. Was this just after work? You'd come home and say, Hey, let's go for a run. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty exactly. Cool. And we'd run
1: down to uh, Dixieland Elementary where I went to school. And yeah, we were kind of like, we kind of
0: like owned the roads. Now, was this a time for you guys to catch up and talk, or was it just we're running, but we're just doing it together?
1: No, I, I don't really remember us talking much, except at the end. You know, toward the end, he'd be like, "Yeah, do you want to race to the to the last light pole?" And and uh, again, I'd be always like, oh, "I don't know, I don't want to race or not." But then yeah, he'd gas it, and I'd go after him. And so, you are you still very much an avid runner? Um, I do run regularly. I'm not sure I would call myself uh, competitive
0: anymore. Okay, but but you still run for fun? Yeah, I love it. Okay. So what what do you think whenever someone says hey you shouldn't run because it's bad for your knees or oh, that's such a that's such an old myth it's it's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah. You know the
1: truth is all scientific studies anybody who's ever looked at um, the history of joint health and running and other even other impact related sports too always finds that runners have a much much lower degree of incidence of arthritis and degenerative cartilage issues. So it's a kind of a function of the use it or lose it um, idea. And that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger combined, I think. And uh, so um, our bodies are miraculously designed.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you use them the way that they're intended to be used, they just get stronger. It's, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Um, just the science that's coming out about running, or at least what I've seen. I mean, I, I would not consider myself an avid runner, but um, I enjoy running. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun to me, um, and I, I always joke that my body was probably built for comfort, not speed. More like, more like a Cadillac, if yeah. you will, maybe a Suburban, but it, it is just getting out there, and especially on long runs, um, my wife looked at me at one point in time when I was training for a longer race and she's like, are you going to take your earbuds? I'm like, no, I don't like listening to music when I run. Yeah, I don't either. And she's like, that is, she looked at me as though I had told her I had bodies in the freezer. Like, she's <laughs> like, you are psycho, uh, a psycho. And, um, but, but what it came down to was I, it was just enjoyable to think about things in the mundane pattern of running and you would think about people and you would think about your work, you would think about your kids. And, and it honestly became a time of prayer for me to where you could just, you could just kind of pray and just think about what, what's going on in your life. It was, it was very, uh, it was a a washing feeling, if you will.
1: Yeah. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. I find the same thing too. And I think a, a lot of people do I sometimes run with uh, with my phone and earphones to listen, and I'll sometimes listen to a little music. And uh, more often than not, I'll listen to like a like a book on tape or something. But mostly, I like to kind of ditch the earphones too and just be focused in on me and what's going on internally with me. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a form of meditation and prayer. It is, and um, and kind of washing, as you put it. I like that. That's yeah. a re- that's a really beautiful way of expressing
0: it. Well, I haven't trademarked it yet. So if you need to use it, (laughs) you can. can. Um, But let's go ahead and what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up, but I'd love to, we're going to talk about your story and where you're at right now and where you're going. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Okay. All right. We're back uh, with Beyond Dollars and Cents with Rich Wills. Rich, let's go ahead and talk about kind of where you came from. So you, you owned Fitnich at one point in time. How, what was the impetus for you to get that started?
1: Well, um, I was working for, about, if I go all the way back to the beginning, after I graduated college, um, I worked as a high school English and journalism teacher. At really? At Lakeland High School for um, about five and a half years. And um, it was there that I was doing, I was, uh, doing their uh, school newspaper and, and yearbook, And I just have always had an entrepreneurial bug about me. You know, like I went from teaching English to doing the newspaper and yearbook. And then um, I realized um, I got to have lunch every day with Hazel Haley and Alan Cleveland and a few other just unbelievable teachers. And I realized that they had a certain passion for what they were doing and the students that I just didn't quite match. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I recognized that I just didn't have quite that passion that they did. And so, and I looked around me and I think this is true in general. There were so many other teachers and they're not the only ones that had that, but there were so many other teachers and I I hate to give teachers a bad rap, but honestly, they were just looking for a soft place to land and they'd found it and they were just on cruise control. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to have anything to do with being that sort of a teacher at any point. And so I started looking around for other things to do with my English degree. And I ended up working uh, at Publix, corporate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in their education and training development department. And then I kept applying for other jobs. And, and I found that all the jobs that I kept applying for were getting me closer and closer to the business side. Really? Uh, yeah. And I eventually was helping the fresh departments write their business plans each year.
0: So was that an accident that you kept approaching the business side? Was that just a coincidence just, that uh, you noticed?
1: It's just my natural inclination. Okay. You know, like I just kind of found myself drawn to that. And, um, and then eventually, uh, after about five years at Publix, I was like, I really want to do my own business. And uh, I've been writing these business plans and help, or helping write these business plans for, for the produce department and the meat department and these other you got great people, great experience. And I was like, I think I can do this for myself. And, I, and uh, so then I embarked on this process of, like, well, I wonder what I should do. And, uh, and then I, just, uh, I contemplated opening a furniture store which, really? Thank God I didn't. <laughs> but um, <laughs>
0: that's different than running. Yeah, around. but I knew
1: running, and um, and um, and I knew that we had a pretty good, we had a pretty good running community here, and, and, and they were having to drive to Orlando to be fitted for and buy shoes, and I thought, you know, maybe this is something that I can do and serve a need in the community, and make a living at it as well. But I didn't think we could ever sell enough running shoes in Lakeland to make a living off of. So we opened the first store with home gym equipment also. Really? Yeah. And um, quickly, I, I recognized that um, I never had to go out to Lake Hollingsworth and repair anybody's shoes. But I was getting calls from people to come <laughs> to their homes and help them with this home gym, gym equipment that we'd sold them or whatever. And uh, it was, I quickly realized that, you know, okay, we don't need all this home gym equipment. It's so not- how
0: long was that before you started? saying okay this is our specialty right here this is what we do well
1: about 7 or 8 months okay. and then we just put a fire sale on all the home gym equipment and <laughs> focused on the running from that
0: point on so did the community and and that's i would say lakeland has a very strong runners community now oh yeah so, so did they come out of the woodwork it no, kind of it really you know
1: you know it really grew the lakeland runners club has been phenomenal in this community and i am sure our store had something to do with it but i think it was a total community grassroots mm-hmm. growth thing it, it was just kind of all the parts came yeah. together yeah there was a good nucleus and core of runners in the area that are in, and, and they weren't all like hardcore competitive runners you know it's like mm-hmm. kind of a kind of like the, the, the nucleus of the runners who make up the community now they're everyday folks who are getting out to the lake or someplace and running two or three or four times a week doing a 5k once in a while but you know like you said earlier running we were talking about it and running really satisfies something kind of primordial and uh inbuilt into us we, uh, i think we really are like the book says born to run yeah and um it's Relatively inexpensive and uh, not always easy, but it's accessible for most people. You can walk out the door and go for a walk or a run or a
0: walk jog. And there is something kind of. It's very welcoming as a community and as, yeah. a, as a sport. I mean, because you can. And I've noticed over time that they've gotten from just this is our, our 5K run or a 10K run or something like that to it's a. You also have the run walk portion right like it's very hey listen whatever you're wherever you're at in your fitness journey if you will yeah
1: you can do it you can start anywhere and and we're all we we all are i i believe designed and created magnificently to be able to run and run well Mm -hmm. and it just we need to be on our two feet getting out the door stalk starts with a walk it's one step at a time and before you know it almost anybody can can become a
0: runner well so i i read um last year the phil knight book chew dog yeah. And it was really interesting to to read about how weird the running community was the way that he <laughs> describes it. And right. then and then now you've got, you know, apps that are couched to five K and Yeah, know, it's I, really I, mainstream now. It's accepted.
1: Back in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, you know, it was only weirdos that you would see out yeah. running on the roads. Like, <laughs> it's that strange
0: you know, like, that weird duck out there running. That's um, That's crazy. So, so how have you seen um, running change just from the time that FitNiche came to existence to now? You you know what? So, FitNiche was started 16 years ago. 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. At least 18, maybe a little more than that. Now, 18, 20 years. How have you seen the sport you love change?
1: So, I think that that kind of primordial inbuilt, inbuilt need to and ability to run and to and to gain. really not just physical, but, but mental and emotional sustenance from, from the activity itself is, uh, is not changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we've gone through an evolution uh, in the running industry also. A, a book came out in 2010 or so called Born to Run, and it talked about the Taramahu yeah. Indians in Mexico who could run. Uh, dozens uh, and dozens of miles barefoot through the mountains and uh, they were some of
0: the best runners on the planet. I can't even walk down my driveway barefoot barely. (laughs) Yeah
1: yeah but um, it it spawned this whole movement of minimalist footwear and if you remember the Vibram five fingers the Mm -hmm. shoes that had that you know showed your toes and uh, everybody complained about them being hideously ugly but we sold just a ton of them through the stores. And, um, the premise was, is that we're all like, like I said earlier, like, like we're all designed to run. We're born to run. It's part of our DNA. And, um, and I would tell people in the store, like, you know, at that time they're like, like, you know, do you believe in this barefoot running thing? And, And I was like, I don't run barefoot, but I certainly believe in it. I think if you think about it, probably the best way to run is barefoot but on natural surfaces. And, um, Mostly, however, we live in a man-made world of concrete and pavement, and so almost nobody goes out into the woods and runs on natural surfaces. Everyone's out around, like Hollingsworth, on that paved path, or in their neighborhoods on concrete sidewalks. And um,
0: there's nothing natural about running barefoot on so those you know, sorts of surfaces. So, would you say concrete really kind of changed the game in not the greatest way? Oh yeah. For for running.
1: Yeah, and so we we ended up. Uh, But, you know, back in the 70s, beginning to add all kinds of things to shoes uh, to um, kind of make up for the unforgiving nature of concrete and pavement, adding cushion, adding heel height to the back of the shoes and um, all sorts of uh, gimmicks and gadgetry, gadgetry, which uh, it turns out, you know, even though I was selling it for for 16 years, um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of marketing yeah. in the footwear industry. Oh, I'm
0: sure. And there's a lot of good intentioned improvements too, but there's a lot of marketing. So I, in preparation for this podcast, I was going back and looking at the different shoe types over the years. And to think that we went from the converse, right? you know, what people wear today for style, right? And it's just that hard-bottomed, single-soled shoe. Just a flat shoe with almost no cushioning. Yeah. Very, it's very minimalist in nature. Which is wild because now they use that shoe. They're selling a lot of those shoes to weightlifters for yeah. deadlifts and squats because it keeps your feet even. But yeah. then it, you know, it goes from the Nike Cortez and waffle to, like you said, the five-fingered sho- shoe. So it's almost like the the science is coming back around to where the tool is really your foot. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, and
1: that's the premise behind our shoe, okay. uh, honestly. And. So I have a friend who uh is a physician from Poland and he was a he was a, a world class runner when he was younger in Poland. And um he and all of the national team guys that he ran with um ran in, in Converse. He really? said and none of them got injured ever. And they were running a hundred miles a week. Um
0: how what year was that?
1: Oh it's back in the sixties uh early seventies. Huh. And um the th- but you know, we've made all these improvements to footwear in the name of comfort, in the name of trying to reduce injuries. Um, but there's always this law of unintended consequences. And so, so you change something. The foot's a very complicated mechanism. And so you change one thing with it, with, but with what your foot's doing, with with a, with a big, fluffy, cushioned shoe. And there's a cascade of consequences that, you
0: know, some of them are good, some of them are not. Is it, is it also a difference, too, because of, let's just say, Science um, improvements to where we can run faster. Does that have any type of issue with the body? You think uh, you know the reason why there are running injuries per se? Running- I don't. I don't think so. I think running injuries, if you look at most
1: of the studies, have stayed relatively consistent over the last twenty to thirty years, and um, and uh, so I, I don't. I think that we're getting injured because we've We've uh, been building shoes for twenty to thir- for thirty some years, more than that actually, that um, that don't accommodate the natural inclinations of the foot. Okay. Well, let's take a break uh, real
0: quick, and we'll come back. And we'll talk about your company. Sounds good. And we're back with Beyond Dollars and Cents uh, with Rich Wills. Rich, so now now I want to talk about the company that that you've started, right? The, sure. Shoe company. First Ray Athletics. What's the story? So, uh,
1: you know, during the pandemic, I was, uh, one of my younger sons is a cross-country runner. Mm-hmm. And I was at Holloway Park, which a lot of people know where that is. But if they don't, it's, it's this really beautiful preserve donated by Ed Holloway and his wife to the community. Um, and it's full of trails. And uh, uh, there's a lot of running that goes on back there, cross-country running. And uh, his team was practicing out there. And I saw a, another group of runners looking like gazelles. From Florida Southern College uh, there's the, their cross country team kind of came loping by and they were all barefoot and I was like really? what in the world you know <laughs> and I was like all right they clearly hadn't I was visited. like what gives I'll give it a try and so I slipped off my shoes and it just happened to be that uh, it had rained pretty heavily the night before and so the ground the earth was, was, uh, was damp and pretty soft and uh, most of the trails out on in, in the Holloway area are, are grassy and they keep them pretty well manicured. It's almost like a golf course. And uh, it was just uh, like scales fell from my eyes. I was like, oh my God, like it felt so good. It was um, my gait changed, my posture change. I felt muscle groups being activated that, that, that I'd never felt before. And most importantly, I had this like, as a wash and in sensory input from my feet. And I was like, I just, I looked down and I saw my, my feet were doing all sorts of things that I had no idea they were supposed to do. Really? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, this is awesome. And so, because I don't, uh, it's hard to get someplace to run off road, uh, even though Holloway's just down the, the way a little bit from me, you know, and we're all creatures of habit. I, I wanted to find some shoes that I could run in that would give me even an approximation of that experience that I had out there. And, uh, and being a running store owner, I'd run in almost about everything. And so I ordered everything else that I hadn't run in. And, <laughs> and I even tried running barefoot. Um, I lost a pair of shoes once because I, I took my shoes off halfway around Lake Hollingsworth. <laughs> and I forgot them. I went to work and I, later that morning I was like, oh, I left my shoes down at the lake. They were gone. And, uh, <laughs> but um, just nothing, nothing really compared to that. And, and what I realized was that all of the footwear that would allow my foot to do what it naturally wanted to do, was very minimal and it's just a little thin slab of rubber between my foot and the ground and that you know that was useless because there's nothing natural at all about running barefoot or near barefoot on concrete and pavements you needed cushion and it reminded me back when that whole vibra movement was a foot, no pun mm. intended in 2010-2012 um, <laughs> and um... The, podiatrists were telling me well, we're seeing all we've got we're, we're businesses booming, but it's incredible it's terrible really because all your runners are coming in with stress fractures and, uh, and I was like, I really wish one of these ma- major shoe companies would build something that was cushioned but that worked like the foot yeah and um, no one ever did Brooks came close with a little project that they did, but they they canned it uh, after about three or four years and um, and then like I said when I was out at Holloway Park, I had that that second kind of revelation is like, wow, I wish I could find some shoes that I could run on the roads and pavement with and be cushioned, but work more like my foot works when I'm out here barefoot uh, at the park. And I, I remember coming home and uh, talking to my wife about it and I was really excited. And she's, she's got an MBA from Yale. So she's, she kind of, she knows some stuff. Yeah. She, she keeps <laughs> me tethered, uh, <laughs> but uh, in a good way. And, um, and I said, you know, I don't think I even have to know why the foot does all these crazy things that I noticed it doing. I think, I think if I could just build a shoe that worked like this, I think you know we could have a whole nother like, really successful business. And she looked at me and she said, there's no way you're the first person who ever thought of this. Mm. <laughs> I, was like, wow. I was like, you know, you're right, but maybe there's a good reason why no one's ever done this or maybe there's not, but no one's ever done it. So that led me down this road of I was going to keep the stores and work on this as a side project, and I began reaching out to people I knew in the industry—podiatrists, biomechanics experts, other podiatrists who are nationally renowned, including Matt Word, who's here in Lakeland—and okay. just trying to learn as much as I could about the foot and why it did the things that it did. And so,
0: what was the foot doing that was different than well, running in a shoe? Well,
1: uh, when you uh, when your foot is in the air, uh, you'll find that you naturally lift your toes, so yeah. if there's a toes-up bias and and even all the medical professionals were saying, well, that's just so you don't stub your toes. And it's for ground clearance. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's for something different. And um, because it feels different when I land with my toes up. And then the toes uh, come down one at a time, starting with your pinky toe, like in an accordion-type fashion. Huh. And, um, and so I, I looked online and was doing some research. And I, and I reached out to a, a famous researcher who was renowned for her study of barefoot running. And had a couple of calls with her and she's like, you know what? The, the things that you're talking about, there's, there's, a, it, there's no research. She's, I know all the research is out there. There's no research on it. But I had found research that said large muscle groups like quadriceps and mm-hmm. glutes for track athletes who are in the starting blocks and swimmers and that when those muscle groups are l- lightly pretensioned, that they do number one, a better job of mitigating impact force which I was like, well, that's perfect. This is your body, your toes are up so because it's, it's a shock-absorbing uh, mechanism. It pretensions the muscles and ligamenture of your foot huh. to be able to kind of dampen and take some of that impact force, which just makes sense. It's like the reason why you land, you know, you, when you jump off of a little box or something, you don't land with straight legs, you land with your knees a yeah. little bent. And then um, the other two things that is, that's really well documented in the research with large muscle groups is that pretension muscles generate higher peak muscle forces and quicker reaction times. So it's really your body's way of preparing the foot for a variety of reasons to be ready for that impact. And when you put a foot in a shoe, it kind of just goes to sleep. It becomes inert, So it just, passive. It's just going along. It, you, your feet just end up going along for the ride. It makes it lazy. It makes it lazy. And uh, there's also lots of research that shows that um, If you transition from running in cushioned shoes to minimalist shoes Mm -hmm. or footwear uh, or barefoot, that within a very short period of time, you have uh, strength increases in your foot of 40 to 60%. Wow. It's really incredible. And so so it wakes those muscles back up. So I thought, we just need to build a shoe that's cushioned for the roads, but that enables and encourages the foot to do what it naturally does. So our shoe has a toes-up bias okay that hinges flat when your feet land and uh, it's highly flexible in the forefoot so there's these independent lugs that move up and down that allow your uh, we're getting detailed now but your pinky and fourth metatarsal knuckle heads they move a lot vertically up and down the next two toes do not move the, the knuckles very much and then your big toe moves a whole lot up and down so we built i i, I came up with a way to build a shoe that would allow for maximum movement of those knuckles that are supposed to move and a little less, the ones that don't move as much. And, uh, and then we made the heel really narrow, like a in proportional to the size of a human heel. So that, um, because there is some research that shows that, um, most of the, like most running shoes have pretty wide heels that are Mm -hmm. flared outward and they do that for so-called stability. But, the one thing that that also does is it turns the shoe into a torque lever. And so it is like, if you imagine having a piece of plywood on your foot, it snaps that foot from yeah. out to in. And uh, that causes rotational forces that travel up the, the chain to your knees and your hips and low back. And so we tried to, I tried to build a shoe that would just, I, just like I said to my wife when I came into the kitchen that first time, I was like, it just needs to
0: behave and encourage the foot to behave the way the foot would if it were barefoot. So in your research and in beta testing, right, how were you able to see the foot reacting the appropriate way? How did how did, what was the testing like for the for the Holloway?
1: Well, um so that's a story in itself. So um mostly what I did was I took existing shoes to start with a and I modified them. I cut them up. I cut the tops off of them so I could see my knuckles. I could see my knuckles moving. Um when I modified the fronts of the shoe to allow that um, I could do some slow motion analysis with my iPhone. It's not very, it's not very researchy. It's not, it's really, (laughs) it's really pretty layman's uh, oriented, but so I was just watching
0: myself in slow motion. It's
1: the same way we did in the stores. Initially we would videotape people running on a treadmill. I
0: do remember that. I actually came in and got sized back in that time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I just, I would go run barefoot and I'd, try to imagine the sensations i try to really kind of visualize what's going on with my foot and then i'd modify shoes that i had uh over at catapult i use their maker space to cut a bunch of stuff up i have my garage as the uh, kids would come out and they'd be like something's on fire or something's <laughs> on fire it's like no it's just me i'm i'm cutting you know the outsole rubber on a lot of shoes really hard and so i had like some grinders and stuff and garage So you were filled. really
0: just a madman in uh scientists just cutting things apart yeah I, 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 I wouldn't call myself a scientist but i was just trying <laughs> i was
1: just trying things and and um and just trying to hone in on you know what would be what just makes sense from like i know okay now i know what my foot does when it's barefoot how can i get a shoe to accommodate that or encourage that to happen
0: so why is it that uh, larger companies to not be named you know, why are they not getting into this space as much? Why are they building in higher end steps and all all this other stuff, all the cushion? I don't know. Really? Except that I can only think that they've
1: made just an absolute mountain of money over the decades making shoes the way that they make them. And then as I got into this and, you know, I hired professional people to help me with this too. Uh, I found that it was very difficult. I, I always tell them, like the designer or the person building the last, the last is the shape that the shoe is built around. It's a three-dimensional version of your foot, basically. And, um, and as they were making these, um, I found it very difficult. On the one hand, I told them, I need you to make sure you save me from myself and don't let me do anything that's, that's, that's terrible or stupid or it's going to hurt people. And uh, but on the other hand, I needed them to do what I wanted them to do, which was break from the traditional way of of building footwear, and uh, that was really hard. It's like I think the entire industry is just entrenched in this is the way we've done it. This is so we make these incremental changes. Nobody start, Nobody has ever really started from the ground floor and said we're gonna build a shoe that uh, every everything that goes into it is designed to accommodate the foot's natural movements
0: Mm. let's go ahead and take our next break and we'll be right back and we're back with beyond dollars and cents with rich wills the owner of first ray athletics so we were talking about the shoe industry and kind of where they're you know where you're going versus where they're going so what was the response what has been the response so far the reception of the holloway which is the shoe you've created so um we've not had a lot of people wear test it. i've have a handful
1: of guys who are size nine Mm -hmm. that have come out and helped me try it on and and um you know one of the most frustrating things about this whole process has been the 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 length of time it takes to build a shoe and uh i was just completely unprepared for it you know you have a designer who works on two-dimensional plans and drawings and conceptual stuff in portland uh, they have a last maker who builds that shape of the foot mm-hmm. in Boston. We've got a factory representative who makes metal molds for the outsole and the midsole in Korea. Got, uh, then they have to outsource the top of the shoe, the upper, from China. And anytime time you make a change to of any significance to the shoe, the whole process of building a last, then making these two-dimensional cha- plans and then changing them to three-dimensional plans and then making metal molds. It's, a, it's an incredibly long process. And you're like, I'd like to change this one thing. And you're like, but I don't have another nine months yeah. to go through that whole process again. And that's, that's probably one of the things that slows down innovation in footwear with the big companies too. Even though they can do a lot more of it in-house, um, it's still
0: just a—it's uh, a really long process. Is there any type of fda or oversight that you have to submit the shoe to you can just make a shoe yeah really yeah that's crazy yeah but if
1: it's a crummy shoe no one's gonna buy it that's true too
0: i mean i I i don't know if i'm really arguing that that should be a thing but at the same time oh that's that's very interesting yeah but
1: but at the same time you know one of my core beliefs is that the foot is so well evolved and it's such a facile mechanism is capable of adapting to so many different surfaces it's really well engineered that it's even I tell people it's even capable of adapting fairly well to a lot of crummy shoes and footwear that we design and build
0: okay so what what happens with people who are struggling with plantar fasciitis and flat feet and all these other things what happens if they start running in your shoe so there's nothing wrong with flat feet anymore. They, we've decided that
1: you can't get out of the military service if you have flat feet. <laughs> and, um, and if you have plantar fasciitis, it's a scourge that, aff- that afflicts. Almost everyone gets it at some point in time. But um, strengthening of the feet is the primary cure for uh, almost everything. And the stronger your feet are, and you get stronger feet by going barefoot on natural surfaces. And, but when you have plantar fasciitis, for instance, the doctor always says, don't go barefoot in your house, and that's true. On uniformly hard, flat, man-made surfaces, you don't wanna go barefoot. But you do wanna do things that they always, always also give you a series of exercises to do to strengthen your feet. And um, so uh, I just know that my feet have gotten a lot stronger since I've been running in my various prototypes, and, um, and I haven't gotten hurt or injured, and then our sh- I won't make the claim that our shoe's gonna prevent injury in the future, but I've gotten a lot stronger. My feet have. And uh, you'd be surprised at how also one of the things that I learned is how incredibly strong your toes are. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Like toes can exert an, a
0: tremendous amount of force. So is are the is our modern day shoes, the way that we know running shoes right now, is that taking away from that force?
1: Uh, oh, yeah, 100% it is. The way that our shoes are built with a taper up in the front. So the toes never really get a purchase or a, a, a real solid purchase on the on the ground in front of you uh the shoe more rolls uh we've just really put our our feet to sleep it's like putting your feet in a cast you know like if you've ever broken a bone and had to wear a cast how quickly the the musculature atrophies Mm -hmm. and weakens but it the great thing about being people is that it comes back quickly too if you use
0: it so So does your does uh, one of the things that you'll i think you always see whenever you're researching running is Heel strike, midsole, or toe strike. I mean, does your shoe help make that more of a natural? It facilitates
1: what a midfoot strike more naturally. It gets that big clunky heel out of the way, so that's okay. one thing that it does. But um, the re- the literature, if you really look at into deep into the running literature, um, a lot of people will say midfoot striking is the best way to do it. But if you really look at um, world class and everyday mom and pop runners, there's a whole variety of just like every person's different, we're all built a little different. Some people are heel strikers, some people are midfoot strikers. And um, it may be better to have a shorter stride that encourages you to land more midfoot. But when they do slow motion analysis of, of elite runners as well as everyday people, we see that even people who are trying to land midfoot, oftentimes
0: they're even just, they're glanc- they're heel, they're hitting heel first and they're just glancing off that heel. And is foot. that because our brain knows that we have a shoe on and it's not allowing itself to do its natural thing.
1: That's part of it. Yeah,
0: certainly, certainly we've got this big marshmallow underneath our, underneath our heels.
1: And so it makes it acceptable to land and even comfortable to land,
0: um, where you wouldn't land far out in front of your center of mass if you didn't have any shoes on. What, so what's the transition like? So if someone buys a Holloway, right. Um, and they're transitioning out of their other shoe that has a lot more cushion and padding, is there some time to kind of get used to that?
1: My goal is that uh, the shoe we end up with will will require zero transitioning okay you know it's cushioned enough that um, you should just if it's a good shoe, you should just be able to put it on and get right out the door with it and uh, and it should work and it should not hurt you so uh, yeah I think that it's just going to be a zero transition shoe
0: so what is what does purchasing look like? Uh, what does it look like for to, to find the Holloway and get some shotted, some people shotted with your shoe. <laughs> well, we're still okay.
1: prototyping. So if you're a size, of men size nine or 13, which I am, uh, then you can try on some of our prototypes. Uh, no problem, just give it, give me a call. But uh, we won't be ready to do a, our first
0: production run until 2024 sometime. Okay, so are y'all looking at later part of 2024?
1: You know, I'm an optimist. I always say earlier, but okay. we'll see.
0: Okay, so what's the, I mean, gosh, man, that's gotta be, you've been building this thing for a, a, you know, a couple of years now, I mean, knowing that it's, it's right there, you're at the... It's it, insane. It's insane. Little... I had no idea it was going to take this long. I mean, just looking at the pathway, I mean, you know, would you have guessed that this would have been the direction you would have taken five years ago?
1: No. No, not at all. You know, originally I thought we'd do something that we would just sell through our stores and mm-hmm. uh, iterate through our stores off of. And, um, and then when we had the opportunity to sell the stores to Fleet Feed, I thought... Well, this might be an endeavor that I really need to uh, pursue full-time, and I think I was right in that. It's um, you know building a new shoe, especially a new type of shoe that approaches uh, the entire industry and the way shoes are made differently. Um, it, it's, it, it really is, even though there's long stretches of like thumb-twiddling, it really does require
0: a, a full-time. What is distribution? Effort. Are you all looking at only doing you know, internet purchases, or are you planning on having it in your local shoe stores?
1: plan on having it in, in all the local run specialty stores throughout central Florida, and maybe even the, uh, all of Florida. And our, my, our proof of concept will be to sell through stores uh, in, uh, in Florida initially, uh, where I can act as the sales representative and the, uh, I, where, I, where I can wear all the hats, and, uh, and then also online. Okay. So I hope that it will be about 50-50 online.
0: Uh, 50% through the stores. Now does that require you to have a relationship with those stores as far as... It does and
1: I know a lot of the store owners already that's kind of one of the uh, aces in the in this up the sleeve sort of speak is that I do already have a functioning relationship and people kind of know us by reputation. Uh, they know a fit niche through the years and I know a lot of the store owners so it's my great hope that uh, I'll have
0: a little bit of an in so on when, that side. You know uh- starting out in a small very small regional type process at the very beginning and i would guess that your long-term goal would be nationally correct
1: certainly globally yeah globally yeah we'd love yeah i mean i think that's the goal and and um we're starting with a very cushioned relatively cushioned um shoe to start with but uh i certainly have ideas and plans for about three or four additional styles of of footwear
0: so you think you'll have three or four different styles and then we'll have a line okay but one step at a time okay perfect well thank you so much for uh being on our podcast and um i mean it's always great to hear a wonderful story and i can't i I think this one is i really do think it's essential i mean caring for your feet you know is is massively important and running's fun so we want to make sure that people continue to do it
1: yeah i once had somebody tell me that um between your mattress and your shoes you
0: spend uh, half of your life Oh wow! In yeah. each, on each, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> or close a, to it, very vital. Yeah. Um. So we we like to close out the podcast in, with two two questions. So first question is, um, what are you currently listening to or reading right now? Uh, right now, I'm reading Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s American Values,
1: which is oh, the wow. story of his family, uh, which I find really uh, intriguing and interesting. And um, so, it's a pretty good read. It is. It really, really is. Well, great. He's actually a very good author.
0: That's uh, listen. I, I'm always in the mood for a good book. And so the the last question is, what are you most encouraged by, um, either in your business or the world around you right now? You know, uh, it sounds
1: funny to say, but I think there's a real hunger for, and I see a burgeoning of of truth mm-hmm. in this world. People want things that are not, um, you know, pocus uh, pocus, airy fairy. They uh e from from politics where populist um political figures are are much people are much more interested in people whether it's a Bernie Sanders or a donald trump or or robert f kennedy mm-hmm. jr they're they're interested in people who they i think they perceive as being more truthful mm-hmm. and um and uh, even in the business world uh, a lot of venture capital has dried up as of late as interest rates are going up and There's a whole series of reasons why that's happening, but the people who are investing in businesses, they're investing in, they're looking for businesses not that are uh, a great pitch deck with an idea. They're looking for businesses that are actually have a truthful, proven track record of some sort. They're actually creating value in communities or creating value for individuals, and um, so I, I I see this as a, little. I mean, a, a lot of people might might um, disagree with me because there's so much divisiveness in the world right now, but I, I see that there's a, a real hunger for, for truth getting back to basics, getting back to nature. Yeah. Uh, in this, uh, kind of hyper-driven, super modern kind of, AI, AI is the next big thing, but we're all humans. And so we still have, we still have a hunger for, for
0: the things that make us essentially human. Yeah, and I can see where your story really um, is surrounded by that. That's cool. So thank you for joining us on the Risk and Reward podcast. My name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. Uh, Rich, if you would, tell people how to get a hold of First Ray to be able to go research your products.
1: Yeah, we've got our website. It's up. Don't try to buy anything off of it yet because we (laughs) don't actually have product, but you can learn a little bit more about what we're up to in the shoe there. and It's at firstrayathletics.com. It's a mouthful, yeah. but firstrayathletics.com. They told me that I could buy firstray.com for like $18,000 or something. I said, we'll just do it with firstrayathletics.com. And, and we're
0: getting our social media sites up and going too. My daughter's helping me
1: with that actually.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, again, to go on uh, Alleninvestments.com and take a look there. There's a lot of great podcasts and uh, blogs being uh, written and recorded. So until next time, have a wonderful day. Thanks, Alan.
1: The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial LLC, LPL, Registered Investment Advisors. Securities offered through LPL member FINRA SIPC.